Hey, chocolate lovers, it's been quite hot here in the U.S. for the last month or so, and with the summer comes low chocolate season. Makers are recovering from the onslaught of holidays from December to May. In many cases, they're trying to figure out what's coming next with COVID and the winter holidays. But a number of small makers have only ever operated during COVID, including today's guests, Roger Rodriguez and Julia Che Rodriguez of Vesta Chocolate. The couple opened the doors to their shop in February 2020, less than a month after their wedding ceremony. Nearly a year in the making, and their official grand opening was waylaid by COVID. And then waylaid once again. And then it was cancelled altogether, plans were scrapped, and big changes had to be made. But I think Julia and Roger tell it better themselves. In this episode, we dig into the early days of Vesta, as well as bootstrapped marketing and the future of social media. So without further ado, here's my interview with Roger and Julia. So tell me about yourselves. Who are you and how did you get into craft chocolate? How did I get into craft chocolate? Well, I used to work in kitchens in New York City and I got pretty close to chocolate because at that time it was hard for pastry chefs to handle it, but it came easy to me. So I mastered the part of chocolate on every single kitchen I worked. And yeah, that's how I got into chocolate. I mean, yeah, but I think you're missing that you got into making your own because you're tired of using <laughs> um, chocolates that were available in the market. Um, Roger actually told me that the reason why he started making his own is because if he realized that if he's making his chocolate creations with the same chocolate that everybody uses, and there's no way that he could differentiate himself. Well, the thing is, like, once if you start using commercial chocolate, right, and and you are, let's say, New York City, you have one rep for that type of chocolate. So, like, every rep is gonna go to every single restaurant in New York City and sell the same chocolate. So, if you're making a chocolate gelato with, let's say, the chocolate from Barona, it's all gonna taste the same. You could only do so much. And so I started experimenting, making my own with some equipment that I wasn't proud of, like, you know, a lot of Home Depot putting together stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, a lot of danger things, you know? So, Did anything last? Um, You know what the problem was? Like, <laughs> I I did my first bowl meal out of a KitchenAid mixer. Yeah, with kind of like pellets from like BB guns. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it was super dangerous because if it would get stuck in the puddle, the thing will be flying and like, you know, it will be like bullets. Oh, wow. Yeah. I reached out to a guy in Brooklyn that was importing beans from the Dominican Republic. And I just wanted to use beans from where I'm from. At the time, they were making rum out of cacao, and I came in asking for like a bag. I was like, hey, can I buy a bag from you? And he was like, well, for what? And I was like, well, I'm making chocolate. And he told me like, well, if you want to make chocolate, why don't we do it together? And I guess he has 
kind of like the, the the space to do this operation. So I like jump in and I create a program under Cacao Prieto. We did a a nice collection of chocolate bars. It was it was been to bar. So yeah, that was my beginnings. <laughs> Well, yeah, at Cacao, Roger was only making bean-to-bar chocolate, and it was also kosher, so he couldn't do anything that sort of had dairy or any other fun things that pastry chefs might want to work with. So when we got married, I also wanted to do something together that's of ours. So I convinced Roger that he wants to do something with me. (laughs) Yeah. So he he moved on from Cacao Prieto and we got to open Vesta Chocolate together. And here, I also wanted to give Roger a space where he could be everything that he's learned to be. He, he was a pastry chef first and then a chocolatier and a chocolate maker. And at Vesta, he gets to be all of that because we're creating our own chocolate, but we're making our chocolate confections, and also baked goods. So he gets to be all of those things that he learned to be. Did Vesta overlap at all with Cacao Prieto? Uh, no. Not at and all. I want to also get into Julia's background a bit, because, I mean, you're you're not just, like, sitting on the sidelines while Roger's creating all these things. You're doing the other half of the business. like all. I mean, to be to be honest and clear, I just do what I'm told. it's part of being a spouse exactly exactly yeah so it's like basically julia has an idea and i make those ideas come to true yeah i mean so it's funny that um and this is how we also connected and ended up, you know, getting married and being partners in life and business. But I also came from Pastry Kitchen. So when we first met, we had a lot of common threads, you know, of people and the things that we love to do. And from being in Pastry Kitchen, I went on to being a food stylist because I I loved being around food. I also loved making them look good and just kind of I also have an advertising background. So for me, that was like a mixture of everything that I've done. Um, and I'm still working as a freelance food stylist when I have time. And so that's that was one of the reasons why I thought when we, you know, Roger and I bring our four tastes together, that it could be a good thing because he could make anything that he sets his mind onto. He's like a chocolate magician. And I had a pretty clear idea of like what kind of brand I wanted to create. And that's, I think, how I contribute to the brand. Like I'm not making everything because that's all Roger, but I um, contribute in more like the aesthetic part and the branding, packaging, all that kind of stuff. So even though you're not actually directly making anything, Julia, how do you think that your background in pastry and food photography has affected how you've built the business over the last year or two? Yeah, I mean, and it's really interesting because I feel like more and more so, whether it's food industry or any other industry, aesthetics, the visuals that have become like so strong. It's like, you know, seeing is believing. 
And if you didn't photograph it, it didn't happen. So I think my background in that sort of, you know, like photography and styling is coming to be a big part of it. People want to try something when they see something. And that's like a big part of creating and continuing a brand. I think that you have a very good point because I find myself holding also my phone trying to go against the grain of people just taking pictures of everything. But I'll find myself (laughs) holding my phone, walking up to a, a big thing of roses and I'll lean down and I'll smell the roses. And if they smell really good, I just, I want to take a picture and send it to my parents. It's like you enjoy something in one way and you automatically want to capture it and like keep it forever. So visuals exactly become even more important as that has become more accessible. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's to a point I'll tell you, like, we have several customers coming in and they, instead of like asking, Hey, could I have ABC? They'll show me a picture of whatever we posted on Instagram and say, Hey, I want this one. (laughs) I think that's to a point where we are as a society. Yeah. I, I was wondering actually if one of you or both of you had a background in marketing or advertising because you do a very good job of not just advertising chocolate but your brand and and yourselves furthermore as part of the company thank you and it's it's really interesting actually you asked that because like on the outside i'm the one who has the advertising background before i jumped into pastry kitchen but this is a thing that nobody knows about roger he used to be a graphic designer before he decided to be a pastry chef (laughs) Yeah, so Roger has a really, really good eye for aesthetics and branding. And even though he like says everything is me, it's really like Roger too. He has an exceptional eye for what looks balanced. And um, oftentimes I feel like I just, I look to him for answers. I'll say, what do you think? Is this better? Is that better? And he's the one who usually tells me, okay, go with this or that. I think the smartest person in any given room is the person who knows exactly whom they should ask about any given question. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's good for me that I know to ask Roger. And he knows to <laughs> defer to you on like most other things about them. Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of, I mean, honestly, we feel that if we weren't partners in life, this... Um, collaboration part could have been very difficult but um, being partners in life also gives us chance to like just kind of continuously think about the involvement of the brand yeah you touched a bit on the fact that cacao prieto which is Roger's uh, previous chocolate, bean to bar chocolate business, his starter business was based in Brooklyn. You all moved, re- relocated to Montclair. Were you always in Montclair? No. So um, Roger can tell you more about it. But after he moved from Dominican Republic, he grew up around Montclair. Mm-hmm. And I had spent almost like 16, 17 years in the city. So when we got married, I knew that I wanted to get out of the city, but we didn't want to go too far. Yeah. And, New Yorkers um, never do. 
Yeah, so I knew already that like Montclair is kind of cute. It's very close to the city and there already has a lot of um, New York City transplants there. So one day we we're driving by and Roger goes, oh my God. And he just stopped the car. I was like, what's, what is it? And he had seen a little sign that says for lease. And he said, this is a space that has the original bank vault that I've been eyeing on for a while. And now it's available. We were like, okay, well, let's take a look at it. So we went in and that's kind of like how we got sucked into creating Vesta there. Like it just took off real fast from there. It was surprisingly fast. We came in, I spoke to the landlord and the landlord was like, what are you trying to put here? And I was like, I'm trying to put a chocolate place. And he was like, okay, fine. Come and sign the lease tomorrow. Like like that. What? Like yes, he didn't yeah. check he didn't check financials, credits, nothing. nothing. Oh, and, okay. and yeah, and this guy was like, you know, like a two-page lease, super simple. And we just realized that the guy is like a chocolate addict too. It's like, you know, he comes here, he comes here every day and like and buys chocolate and and buys chocolate for everybody in town. So, you know, it kind of like worked out for both. I would say it, it's true story. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that feels like serendipity to me. Almost. Yeah. So we, we got kind of uh, sucked into Montclair real fast. To piggyback on the idea of kind of restarting a business in a sort of new city to you, what were the stages that you guys had to go through to build up the business and, and expand a retail shop, not just a brand? Yeah, I mean, Roger could tell you more about it. We actually had to take a retail shop and turn it into a manufacturing kitchen space. So that took us almost six months, I think. Yeah, I mean, it was a clothing store, so it only had a few outlets and lights. So there was no plumbing, nor electric no like 220 amps, none of that stuff. So we have to go in and rebuild the place for plumbing, three compartment sink, grease traps, and mop sink. It, it, it was crazy. Yeah, zero to everything. Yeah, it was like, you know, building, it was like building the space again. This is a bank. Walls are super thick. So it's not like you could just drill and be done with it. Like if you want to, drill something in the floor you probably have to drill for like eight hours so yeah we built it in kind of like i would say six months it took longer than expected because also the town was a little old school and this is also a protected building you can't even do much in the front But yeah, we, we made it happen and, and we opened and um, what is it? We open and then we have to close. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was that timeline like? Well, we opened last January and it was kind of crazy. It was just like a rapid fire. Um, we opened the shop and then we went down to Dominican Republic to get married in like an actual ceremony. And then we came back and we have very unexpectedly busy Valentine's Day. 
It was like a taste, a tasting of, of, of success. It, yeah. I mean, it's funny because it was busy, but not like to that point. And then Roger said, you know what? Watch, mark my word. Valentine's is like a day where guys buy something for their wives or girlfriends. They are like last minute shoppers. It's going to be really busy. So then lo and behold, like three days, two days, one day before Valentine's, it was just line of guys trying to get something. <laughs> so that was like our first taste of like, okay, well, at least there is demand in this town. Yeah. So we had like a semi-successful first push, and then March. I mean, I mean, it was, it was, it was so bad that at the end, at in the display case, there was only like one bonbon left, <laughs> and one guy came, and basically the 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 place is very nice decorated, and and Julia has like a tons of plant, and the guy just wanted to buy a plant. It was like, listen. I just need to go home with something. Just sell me anything, and like you know, I'll, I'll be out. I'm I'm done. But yeah, I mean, after that was basically pandemic. Yeah, I mean, how has the ongoing pandemic shaped Vesta? How have you continued to connect with customers? So for you know, it's pandemic. We're home, and we're like, oh my goodness. Um. We just had to put, you know, we put together our online shop in, I think, like two days. Um, and neither uh, Roger or I have like a background in, you know, websites, designs and all that. So we're like, okay, well, we can't really be choosers here. You know, we just got to put something up. So we put together like a basic shop. And so we started shipping our stuff because that was the only way. And locally, we are offering delivery. So they would either call or place an order online and we'll deliver for them. And that basically let us um, have a push for Easter and Mother's Day last year. How long was the physical retail shop closed for? Oof, I think from March through until maybe like June something or July, I think. That's when we like started opening up just for like curbside and quick in and out. And for people who aren't familiar with, with the chocolate seasons, that's like a large chunk of the season. And the summer's kind of dead, so you opened right back up to quote unquote like dead chocolate. Correct. Yeah, yeah right. So we're doing a lot of, we're also like a cafe here. So in summer season, we sort of like um, change, switch the gear to being more like cafe oriented. So we, we have a lot of like cold drinks and um, Sundays and stuff like that. But almost four, five months, I think we're physically closed. To the public. I mean, I was in here yeah. just making chocolate. Right. Um, and still shipping and delivering. Yeah. You had spent all of this time and money converting this space into also being a manufacturing space. So you had to be able to access it. I mean, exactly. were you able to immediately, like even during the pandemic, go into work, Roger? Mm-hmm. It, it, was, it was funny because there were still people like knocking on the door, even though it was like stay-at-home order. 
So we blocked the windows and I was just in here, just making, making stuff, you know, and Julia was shipping. It was weird times because everybody was online. All of the, oh, every single business was selling online and we were here, you know, brand new company. Nobody know who we were because we didn't have the chance to promote ourselves because everything, everything died. So we have to just put ourselves out there. It, it was crazy because we didn't have a following yet. It took time to get used to because in my other company, I was just, it, it was easy. I was established already. But this with the new brand, you know, I didn't want to like put a face on the brand. I didn't want to put my face on the brand. I wanted the brand to be itself. And I think that's why it took us a little longer. But now, you know, now, now Vesta is, is good now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little more stable than it was uh, 12 months ago. Correct. Sure? Yeah. Yeah. But also for people who may not be in the U.S. or may not be following, may not have followed the news that closely, Montclair is pretty close to New York City, right? It is. It's actually funny because um, a lot of folks who live here are working in the city or from the city. And over the pandemic, like a lot more city folks moved here. So Montclair's kind of like a little Brooklyn in Jersey. And right at the back of our store, there's a train station. If you take a train, it's uh, straight to city in 45 minutes. Wow, that's not a horrible commute. Yeah, so a lot of people live here because it's kind of like going into Manhattan from like Queens or Brooklyn. It's kind of like best of both worlds because you do have a little space and it's green, peaceful. And there's parking. Right, and you have access to the city just like that. Jersey and New York City, New York State, to a larger extent, also were hit really hard by the pandemic while you guys were closed. I mean, what what was it like navigating that on a personal level and a professional level? Oh, my God. I think it was a scary time for everybody. Just we and this is what we told everybody, too, and including ourselves. We said, OK, fine. This is pandemic. Nobody knew it was coming and nobody knows what's happening. Let's just take a breath and start throwing everything on the wall and see what sticks. We were in total survival mode, like personally and in business. So we're just trying different things. We're luckily, because we're such a small company, we're able to implement changes or new products fairly quickly. So we would think of things that could be helpful and just do a testing and put it on the market and throw everything on the wall. (laughs) For people who don't really have a sense of how big a small business would be as a startup within a year of opening, year and a half maybe, without a ton of capital or anything, how many employees do you have? (laughs) <laughs> oh, um, well, so it was just me and Roger during pandemic. Yes. And now we have two more. So it's four of us. But for example, like in December, which was like our busy time of the year, because people still were like at home, but they were actually buying a lot of stuff and getting them shipped as a gift to family members and friends. It was only us. And it was 
traumatizing me. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, true, true story. <laughs> uh, because we worked, we worked really hard in the off season. We worked really hard in the off season to promote ourselves, thinking that okay, you know what, December is gonna come and it, we're gonna be okay. Oh no, it wasn't. It was. I think we did a phenomenal job promoting ourselves, and it's just like it was bad. It was, it was so bad. And it was just us. And we would go to like the Shopify website and do 80, 90 orders and then refresh it to see what was left. And it was like 80 or 90 more. Uh, wow. That must have been really overwhelming, but, but also joyous. Oh my God. We were here into, we were here into two o'clock in the morning. Like, yeah. Every day. Every day. We would come here like at eight in the morning and then leave like at two in the morning. I think that's just part of, you know, being a small business owner and, you know, I'm not going to call names, but within the chocolate industry, there are also like companies that do come from ample capital. So they have the bandwidth to be able to put in a proper team for everything. We just put all of our savings in and this is our dream on the line. So it's just us and the shop for now. We're hoping that as years go by, we'll be able to accumulate and hire more people and keep growing. It's also, when you guys were doing all of this, that was looking back the height of the pandemic numbers. So it wouldn't really yeah. be safe for you to even hire anyone, even if you could. And you would have had to right. train them and spend all this other time. Exactly. But how did you guys come up with the name Vesta? Oh, yeah. So we were, I remember correctly still, we we're driving and we we're just going through some name options. And I'm kind of like obsessed with um, Greek and Roman mythology. So I was trying to see if I could find something that like resonated with us. But we didn't want to go with all the same, you know, chocolate goddess that everybody goes with. So then I was like, oh, wait, Vesta, it's a Roman goddess. It's a Roman goddess of hearth, which is oven and of fire. And we're like, well, we roast our own beans. So that is correct. And then I also learned that she's a keeper of home and family. And in the Roman times, she was the only goddess that was allowed to be worshipped in every home. So like all in all, it just sounded very much like something that we wanted to bring. Like we wanted, you know, we roast our beans, but we also wanted to be that sort of, you know, keeper of home and family and bring them together. And it also sounded really cool. It's only five letters. So all in all, I just kept thinking on it. And uh, when I shared that with my branding agency, my artist said, well, that actually sounds really cool. Let's brainstorm on it. And so it just kind of took off from there. Would you have any advice for someone struggling with a marketing plan for their own young business, whether it's in chocolate or, or outside? Ooh. Um, I, I will probably say focus <laughs> on that and not the chocolate. Okay. Interesting approach as the chocolate maker. Yes, I am telling you, because we all seen how many chocolate companies have come up. It's easy to make chocolate. Very, very easy. You just have to watch a YouTube video and that's it. Um, well, making good chocolate is hard. Exactly. But guess what? If you are in a display case and your branding is stronger than the other guy, it doesn't matter how good your chocolate is. 
I you mean, know? that is kind of a sad-ish reality, but yeah. Exactly. So, like I said, you know, chocolate is easy to work with, especially nowadays that there's so much information out there. Like, I didn't have YouTube when I started. Like, there was no one online that was going to teach you how to do these things. So now that people just have to watch something and do that for a year and they're an expert. But like, I know a lot of people that have started companies just because they're maybe designers or they're good with numbers or, you know, they always have an edge, but it's very rare that you're going to see somebody just like starting a chocolate company for passion because this is not, this is, you don't make money on this unless you go heavy on branding and this, this is really hard business. Yeah, it's true. The Roger does have a point in that I think this industry is completely becoming like wine. You know, when you go to pick a bottle of wine, oftentimes you end up choosing something based on like the packaging or wine spectator number. So I think that's what he's referring to. But I think, you know, even in that, there are little marketing tactics that you can use as like a young entrepreneur or a young company. And I think that's always sort of focusing on the food. Like I noticed that for us, we don't have like a whole team of marketing or, you know, advertising or none of that. It's just us taking pictures of the things that we make. But we do notice that people respond especially highly to very drool-worthy pictures, like something that invokes a kind of craving or emotions within people. So I think always staying true and using a lot of images or visuals that provoke that kind of feeling, it's always worked really well with us. And in terms of branding, I think a strong branding is really, really necessary because a lot of folks who come into a store will always mention, oh, we love your branding or we love your packaging. And unfortunately, at any budget, it is an element that any company should strongly think about. Having a clear direction is, is really, really helpful. I've also seen that you've taken advantage of a lot of sort of marketing infrastructure that you're already aware of. But where would you recommend people looking for marketing opportunities for their small business? What sort of infrastructure or even educational courses could they take advantage of? I mean, honestly, I don't know if there's like a such thing. But the good thing, like Roger mentioned, we have a YouTube video of everything. And as you know, I'm already kind of like an older generation. So using Instagram, like takes a lot of brain power for me to figure out and it, it moves so fast you know one day something is in the next day a different hashtag is in so I think just being in the know or trying to keep up with the current market that really helps because even on Instagram it's not just about posting great quality of pictures it's also knowing how the algorithm works and which hashtags are popular and I think those things you can't really like learn in a course per se. I think it's something that you just have to hustle it out. <laughs> yeah. And if you, and if you small, you have to go for what's free. You have to go for like Instagram. You have to go for the Facebook. You have to go for the YouTube. If you start paying advertising, uh, 
like from the beginning, I mean, the only one that is going to benefit is the agency, not you, at least at the beginning, you know? So I think it's better if you are small, you just go for the free stuff and just like go hard on them, you know, like post like five times a day or like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy, but it's, it is true. For us, we are a little older now. I just learned what a reel was like two weeks ago. <laughs> you know, so it's like, think about it. A kid nowadays wants to open something. All he has to do is videos. I'm like still stuck on pictures. <laughs> it's true. I think in the very near future, we're, we're going into like short clips of videos. I hope not. I know. I, I mean, I'm not used to it and I'm just not that generation either. So I don't feel comfortable sort of like recording everything that we do. But, you know, as you know, the video clips of length doesn't really get much attraction because people these days don't have really like the patience or the attention span to watch like a full five minute video. So I think anything that's within like 15 seconds, something sort of that could hook you in like those are the strong clips that you want to produce and promote yeah i think it's also it's very different depending upon whether you own a retail shop or just a brand that you're trying to maybe get into retail shops right you're you're catering to a very different audience but with your own retail shop you want to bring people in Do you have any quick tips for upping food photography skills at home before you try and recruit a professional, speaking of doing everything you can get for free? Yeah, absolutely. And this is another um, topic that has a lot of information and resources out on internet and YouTube. But essentially, what you need to understand is light. And you, you want a lot of diffused light. So if you find an area in your store or apartment or wherever you live that has ample natural light that's filtered that's really the best like even when photographers use all these fancy lights that's basically what they try to emulate so if you know of an area that gets a lot of light i would invest in a couple white foam core that work as a reflector and it's actually really easy. Like you could get an entry level DSLR camera that gives you a very good quality images that you can use for social and your websites. Um, and just kind of create that little like studio space with the reflector and the light. Having that set up really helps because it also gives all your images a feeling of a series, you know, so not all of them look different and like they belong in different collections. There are several things that you can do at home with little money involved. And this is just one of the many aspects and facets of running a business that you have to consider. Not to mention going back to what Roger was saying with you should make chocolate. Um, and anyone can make chocolate. But then if you want to up your game and get to the level of making good chocolate, you have to consider all of these different steps, even down to the importing of the cacao much less the sourcing of it at the start and then from there once you actually have the chocolate then you do all of the things that you're working on that you're specializing in right now the marketing the food photography the day-to-day -day accounting kind of stuff 
Right. I mean, at the heart of it, I think the product should really speak for itself. You know, like marketing is there to help, but it shouldn't be a primary reason why somebody purchases a product. I joke to everybody, and this is actually maybe not a joke, and it's true, that I never would have married Roger if he made bad chocolate. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, if he made bad chocolate and he thought he was making good chocolate, I mean, that's indicative of a whole different set of issues. But this is like, you know, I mean, in, in a way, chocolate makers are like cacao whispers, as you know. Even from the same origin, not all of the beans are the same. It depends on the ears and just a lot of factors. And I think a good chocolate maker can take that beans and still figure out how to extract the best out of it. So the way I look at it, and this is from like watching Roger make chocolate. He doesn't always roast things at the same exact temperature or length. He takes a look at each batch of the beans and then he adjusts it depending on what he feels it needs. And oftentimes I feel that these days, you know, there's like a machine that's programmed and a one fits it all kind of thing. And, and that'll give you a chocolate, but I don't know if it's going to give a great chocolate every time because, because every bean is different. And uh, I feel that that's what Roger does best. I feel like my way of making chocolate is not the chocolate maker's way. It's more of a chef way. I'm making food, basically, in the form of a bar or in the form of a confection. My duty is basically to highlight that cacao the best I can. So I feel like sticking to roasting profiles and all this and all that, you know, I am very, very open to what I could do with chocolate. And I've been doing it for so long that I sometimes don't even have to experiment. Like I know what's going to come out of it, but that only comes with experience. I could do a test batch of something and I know it's going to be good, but it's not because of like, oh, I'm going to follow this percentage. Yeah, repetition gets you there. But what really, really gets you there is tasting. You, yeah. you have to taste everything. I think it's one of those things where like sometimes maybe it's hard to be learned to because it's instinct. And I think that's maybe it's the fact that he's Dominican and his grandfather had, you know, a plantation and kind of grew up around this and it's in his blood. I don't know. But when you experience something for so long, so much, you start to map out the difference in beans and you start to build an idea of what's going to be needed to... It's kind of like making jam. Like every strawberry is different. Some are sweet, some are less sweet. And you kind of have to figure out exactly. how much more sugar to make it right. And that's maybe the same logic for chocolate. And that's what that's what Roger does. None of these marketing things will matter without starting with this great chocolate. And and the way that I see it too is like if you see how most operate, they go and like taste the beans. For example, I even taste the husk of the actual cacao after and before roasting. And the reason why I do that is because when you're winnow, there's a percentage of husk inside your already winnow nibs. You know, but nobody thinks about that. I, I didn't know. <laughs> it's like nobody tastes the sugar. Nobody check how much the sugar humidity content is. Right. 
it's things that that you have to adjust to doing this every day you like talking your sleep about it is yeah well it's true i mean i have to say that i don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing or maybe it's a necessary thing but like from the moment we wake up till we go to bed we do talk about either chocolate or vesta I mean, that's kind of like our lives, you know, and, and you would know, because I remember the first, the most striking thing about meeting you first was that you had different chocolate bars for breakfast. <laughs> yep. And, and that's lifestyle. when you know, yeah, like you really appreciate and love chocolate. And that, that struck me the most that you're able to sort of do that. And I'm sure by now being able to taste so much chocolate, you have a much bigger library of experiences. And now I'm sure when you taste something, it's different than when you didn't have that library of flavors and memories and experience. So I think just experiencing it a lot makes you a better taster and better maker. Just like when you're when you're a chef and all of these, like all the things that you and Roger have touched on, they're different variables. Right. And you have different variables on the grander scale of your business. And then when, within each aspect of your business from marketing to chocolate making. Exactly. And right now, how many origins or how many how many variables of origins are you guys working with? Yeah, so right now um, we're only using organic cacao. And as you know, a lot of them are coming from Latin America. So we have Dominican Republic, Belize, and Guatemala. Roger being Dominican, we just can't not work with it. But also over time, we realized that Dominican beans, we're using um, Oco Caribe beans right now. They are bright but it's also not so particular that you're you could mix with a lot of different things so we actually use the dominican chocolate for our hot chocolate mocha brownies and chocolate chip cookies it just it gives that beautiful taste without it being like super overpowering and also we do the the bonbons as well so it's like we oh do, yeah yeah we do the bonbons on that is true it's just such a friendly bean it, it really is it, it kind of goes with a lot of things that you could do yeah so it's, it's like very friendly you know it's easy to work with yeah and then the uh belizean cacao is like super pineapple honey and raisiny that it goes so well in every uh, milk chocolate so we have like a regular milk chocolate and the vegan milk chocolate as well as Guatemalan chocolate. It's, um, it's got really nice, um, beautiful, bright, and sort of mocha and passion fruity notes that we learn that in like applied things, it's a little hard. We tried making mocha with it and it was a little bit too strong. Yeah, I, I think now because I'm Dominican, but I think the Dominican beans are a nice- Applicable. Complement. Yeah. It's, it's, it... For example, like when we do bonbons here and we do, for example, an orange one, right? We just give you a little bit of orange. I know there's people that said that the shell of the bonbon shouldn't interfere with what's inside of the bonbon. And I completely think the opposite because I don't actually sell oranges. I sell chocolate. So I care about the chocolate itself. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of orange to complement my chocolate. Yeah. 
I think they should agree with each other, the insides and the outsides. I have very strong opinions about bonbons. You guys make yeah. them beautifully. You make the inside thin-ish outside, and it all works well together. But I've had some bonbons with like very acidic chocolate, and then they'll have a smooth ganache inside. And I'm like, I can't focus on your ganache at all. <laughs> exactly. Right. Exactly. So it's like finding that balance where you are actually selling the chocolate that you made with a little bit of like a passion fruit note or a raspberry or whatever. But I sell chocolate. You're going to taste my chocolate. And then you're going to get some of that fruit puree that somebody grew. The same thing for like our chocolate chip cookies. Like a flavor priority, basically, right? Exactly. It's, 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 it's what you sell. Like you want to highlight what you make. It's a chocolate chip cookie. Yes, but you get more chocolate than butter and, and anything else. Right. Same thing with a brownie. You kind of like have to defend your product. But that's my opinion. Nobody cares. <laughs> I'm just the guy that makes stuff in the back. We're here to hear your opinion. I mean, I think I have a very individual, unique approach to eating bonbons. And so I don't really have a sense of how other people like expect them to be or approach them. But I mean, those are all my questions, but I wanted to, to give you a chance to say anything else, any kind of final remarks. Yeah, no, um, thanks so much for bringing us on board to talk with you. We're always available on Instagram. If anybody have any questions, they can always send us a message. But yeah, I think it's like hand in hand, like in this day and age, you really do have to have good marketing and visual selling plan, <laughs> if you will. But I, I hope that all the makers and new companies don't forget that before we do that, the first and foremost is the quality of the chocolate and the product. That uh, The marketing gets the foot in the door and the chocolate itself keeps them coming back. Absolutely. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. Thank you so much for listening to this extended interview from Chocolate on the Road. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. In fact, please share it in any way you see fit. Your support makes all the effort put into each episode worth it. An especially huge thank you to Julia and Roger for being in this episode. To learn more about Vesta Chocolate, check out the show notes for this episode at the link in the description or on my website at damekakao.com. That's D-A-M-E-C-A-C-A-O dot C-O-M. Have a wonderful day, and I hope you'll join me next time we go on the road. Mm-hmm.